0: Listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gibby metal podcast. Well, Steph, thanks for joining us this evening. It's uh, kind of an interesting sort of a checkered story as to how I got into the band, believe it or not. Um, You know, it's, uh, I've been a fan of Winter for decades at this point. And um, you and I had met, we discussed that uh, through our mutual friend, Steve Murphy. And uh, Mm -hmm. you know how like with your buddies, you're always turning each other on to different bands and like, oh yeah, check this out, you know, and people send you links. And uh, you drive around in your car and you're like, oh, this is really cool. So someone sent me, a good (laughs) friend of mine, uh, sent me a link to the Godin record, Beyond Darkness. And it was like one of the most crushingly heavy things I've heard in a long time. But the thing I like the most about it is the atmosphere. And uh, some of the other things that we'll talk about later is it seemed like there was a whole concept behind the band and um you know so i dug deeper and i was like holy shit it's stefan flam from uh from winter <laughs> and i was like of course you know <laughs> and uh yeah and i've been on this like year-long uh you know exploration of uh of the record and um i gotta say it's it's uh we, we're doing our uh year-end you know top five records and uh you know, no spoiler alert. This is one of my top five. So, you know. Uh, like,
1: thank you so much.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 just great, man. And I see that Decibel has uh, has recognized the record, and and um, yeah, it's
1: just it's just really cool. You know, it's a great
0: record, by the way.
1: Yeah. It was. Uh, thank you so much. I put a lot of work into making that record. Um, that record was a long time in the uh, in the making. So um, to see people finally. Digest it and it came out May eighth. So now you know, we're almost at the you know the year mark. Plus you know, 2020, nobody toured, nobody did anything with COVID. So um, the record kind of has to stand on its own musically because there's like no hype because there's no one playing, there's no supporting anything. So um, it took a long time to make it, and um, mm-hmm. I, I I recorded it, engineered it produced it, um, it was my concept and it's basically a continuation of what winter would have been from my, um, my vision, so to say. And, um, uh, it's kind of, it kind of took on its own, its own life because winter kind of ended, um, and we took over the winter rehearsal studio and we converted into a recording studio at Tony's house, the keyboard player. And, uh, we, we just rehearsed everything and, and it was crushing. And then we tracked it, recorded, it, put it on the shelf and just kept moving on. And some people joined on to the Garden project and some did not. And then there's some new people joined on too. So it just kind of, um, went in its own when it took on its own life, you know, with the manifestations and the whole storyline behind it and the light and the dark story and all that. So, yeah, that's
0: uh, it seems like a few years ago, winter looked like it was about to start getting busy again and kind of uh, you yeah, know, I know that when you guys played Maryland Death Festival, then there was like a couple of uh, shows here and there, and um, I was hoping that there might be like another winter. Record in the works, but this is such like, uh, like you were saying, it's a continuation of where that band left off. And there was like a pretty big break, it seems like, between the most recent winter stuff, which came out years ago, and then now this brand new well, it doesn't seem probably not brand new to you, but to me at least, um, you know, direction and uh, realization of uh, some of the ideas that started in that band. So how did you put together, you know, the people that played in the band? Because uh, you got, you got, um, you know, member of Cycle uh, Sluts from uh, uh, from Hell, and it just seems like, who's actually in the band? Because you see, it seems
1: like there might be, like,
0: a, a lot of different hands involved in this thing.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like a village of uh, friends. Um, so how can I explain? break it down kind of simple so basically um i did after winter ended um i started a group with um roy may auger and john john jesse from nausea it was called thorn thorn and um we put a record out on roadrunner and during that time we toured a little bit with thorn and i met um Boss Callis. She was a singer of Hansel and Gretel. That was after she left Psycho Plus. She's probably done like 10 albums with Hansel and Gretel at this point. Right. And we were always really good friends. And when we toured with them, I, I would always watch their set and be like, you know, she's a fucking killer entertainer. She's a great front woman. She really kicks ass. And I always kept that in the back of my mind. And we were friends, whatever. And, and time went on. And then, um, you know, I did the Serpentine record too. I know you wanted to talk about that as well. And then, when I put the Goddamn record together, putting that whole project together, I said, man, I'd love to have like a female singer, but someone who could just kill it. And I reached out to Voss, and after I had tracked and recorded all the music, everything was done at that point. And then I had um, asked Voss if she'd be interested. And I the first song I sent her was uh, Come Sousa Toad. And, um, I was like, Yo, Voss, do something like German or something, and use like you know that ethereal voice because she uses a couple of different characters or voices that she has. Yeah. If you know Susie I mean, she sings in Greek, she sings in German, she sings in English, but she has a couple of different like character type voices she uses. Um, and when man, when she gave me "Come Susa Toad," when she like sent me back, you know, she has like, her own little home studio and she sent it the track back. Me and Tony listened to it. I mean, we just looked at each other like. Dude, I think we found our lead singer. This is like a no-brainer. And uh, I mean, not only did she sing, she sang it in German, she fucking crushed it. So um, that's how I found Voss. But it all kind of started was, uh, I was having a hearing problem, I had really bad tinnitus, and I was suffering from it. So we had to cancel some of the gigs we were supposed to play, you know, uh, um, that festival in France, I can't remember the name, the one that uh, Black Sabbath was doing their last show at fest. Oh, that's
0: and amazing. That's just, a great you know, festival, man. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, well, I had to cancel that because my audiologist said she couldn't guarantee that I wouldn't basically be losing the rest of my hearing at that point. So oh. um, I was suffering at that point. I'd PCS, I, PCS was not sleeping. It was like a tea kettle 24-7. I was barely functioning. Uh, basically almost lost my marriage of 20 years because of the stress I was dealing with it. So the fact to go to walk in harm's way and go play a concert, even though it was like kind of like meet your maker and play black Sabbath was like just a very depressing time for, the, for everyone in winter. And I went to the rehearse, that last rehearsal just to break it to the guys and be like, yo, I, I'm not going to be able to do this show. I'm sorry. You guys can get someone else. If you want to play guitar, I totally understand. And everyone's like, No, nah, if you're not in it, it's not winter, blah, blah, blah. And they just chose not to do it. So we canceled that gig and it was, you know, we, we were all set up in Tony's house basically. And, um, you know, everyone kind of left and we were kind of, kind of really it was like a, from a really high point from playing road burn and having like after 30 years of just, you know, not having any real recognition for him and the record came out, it kind of came and went and, now we were playing Roadburn, some other shows. It felt good to have that happen was like a short little up and then a quick down, you know. So they left and a couple of days later I went back to tony to like pack up the rest of the gear and stuff I had over there. And he's just looking at me, he's like, Yeah, is this how it's gonna end? And I'm like, Listen, I'm not gonna be able to play out live or do anything like that, but I uh, said Listen, we're all set up here. All the gear in this rehearsal room is basically mine. All the guitar amps, bass amps, the drums, the drum, the drummer moves Mm -hmm. his drums, and all all Tony's keyboards are there. If you want to set up a sound booth in this rehearsal room, and we'll build an ISO booth, and I could be the boy in the plastic bubble and see you guys outside the glass. I could play my guitar as if I'm in a control room. We'll make like a control room. Then I could continue writing music. I can't tell you whether I'll be able to play live or not. But if you're down with that and he looked at me straight in the face, Tony's like, yo, let's build a sound booth and see how it goes. We hired a good friend of ours. He built us an ISO booth. We put it in Tony's basement. We, you know, we ran whatever wires in there. mixer. My brother's a recording engineer. I told him what I wanted to do. He kind of helped me. And he also worked with Sam Ash Pro on uh, 34th Street. Right, right. We ordered a bunch of microphones, interfaces, whatever we needed. Like I said, I already owned I have all my guitar equipment, even from from 1986. Everything I've ever bought, I still own. All my records, everything. I've never had to lose any of it. I'm very fortunate. And um, set up all the gear. I Had the drummer went to drummer remove his drums. I bought a drum kit, old school, Pearl MX uh, MXL, I think it was. Double old school, double two kick drums, all original hardware. I used Craigslist, mic'd it up, set it up in there, put mics on everything in different rooms. And um, me and Tony and Vic, the drummer from Winter, proceeded to take songs I had for the next Winter album, which some of the riffs are, God, I mean, some of them are like 15 years old, 20 years old. It's just I, I never really stopped doing music. I did Thorn. I did some stuff for Liquid Sky, which is like a drum and bass label. And, you know, just, I always kind of did some music in like my own studio. And um, we started tracking some of the songs and um, some other drummers and stuff I was friends with. I told them about it and they were like, yo, I'd love to play on it, too. So then, you notice know, there's three different drummers on it and um, other friends who you know, listen. I'm not a lead guitar player, but some of my friends, you know, they're they're axe grinders. I'm like, yeah, you want to do some solos or something on it. Right, it slowly right. started to tumble. was Like, listen, if you have a skill that you're better than I'm at, then you should be you should be using that skill on the record. So I have like one of my like Steve Murphy's sisters, literally like a, I think she teaches orchestra in university. She played violin on a bunch of the songs like Come Susa, Toad. and um, any of my friends who played instruments or anything that wanted to be part of it, they are invited to be on it and they can contribute something. Um, and that's how it kind of proceeded. It proceeded like that in Tony's basement for a solid four and a half years where we just had a song. I basically I would assemble the whole song with drums that I would program on a drum machine. And then I'd play my riffs with them. And then I'd sit down with the drum like, listen, this is kind of what I have. I don't play drums let's humanize it a little bit but you get the structure of the song we track i'd sit there in the boy in the plastic bubble i play guitar with them i go back i track the bass tony puts keyboards on it and we layered it and we did that with every song that's on that album and um when there were 10 full songs we um that's when i invited boston to it and she joined on all the manifestations; those were just all ideas I had for like ambient records and stuff. that became a home for all my ambient stuff. Um, I'm into the recording process. I'm, into, I'm really into recording and experimenting. And I don't think that record ever could have been done the way it was done. If you could have given me $300,000 to make that record, and it wouldn't have come out as good as that because. I had 100% artistic freedom with it. I did exactly what I wanted to do on the record. And um, that's kind of how the recording process kind of happened. Chris, my brother, tracked a lot of because he's, he's a legitimate recording engineer. So when it came time to recording drums and, and stuff like that, Chris did a lot of the tracking. But all the other stuff, I basically tracked everything else. And then uh, Roy Mayorga. I don't know if you know who he is. He, oh, yeah, um, definitely. Roy is a really old friend of mine. I reached out to him on the whole, and he's a really good friend of Voss's as well because we toured together. We're all really old friends. So I said, this is, hey, I have this record. We've uh, been working on it for whatever. I didn't really tell anyone about it until it was done. And then um, Roy had some time in between two records. And he says, yo, man, send me all the stems. I'll mix it. And he mixed it. And then Paul Lug- Lug- Lugos, I think his name was, mastered it. And, um, that whole process took about four and a half, five years and made, made the whole record. And then, um, um, Ava Petrick, an artist I met from Vienna, I met her at the an anti-aging conference and, uh, we became friends and she had some art stuff at, at the UN and in St. John Divine, And we did a bunch of the photos and we, she helped me with the, uh, the art to develop the story that I wanted to kind of put together for the Garden record. Cause I, I kind of have like a concept in my head. And, um, and then Tony helped me with the, Tony's like, uh, he's a bit older than us. So, and he's also really into writing and literature and, you know, he's into like H P Lovecraft and all these different types of writers and so on. I told him what I wanted to create as far as the story. Cause Voss was obviously her lyrics and stuff. She's the darkness. And I didn't want it to just all be dark. I wanted it to be like a story, like a, like a traditional kind of story, whether it be biblical or whatever it may be. And um, I spent many nights up with Tony, just on the phone, just being like, "Hey, I read what you read. Let's go over it. And let's you know, let's break this into into the chapters now. Okay, what are we going to call these chapters? You know, you basically you look at the Bible, you look at the, way the Bibles written out, or any you know Torah or any religious type of book." Or whatever it may be, and we started, we started putting it all together, and that was kind of how it happened. It kind of evolved a little bit, um, but they, Voss and Tony, are, I would say, are basically the the group with me. I'm Space Wings in that I'm like an element. I'm I'm the space in which these characters dwell. I'm like the uh, atmosphere. I'm like an element almost. I'm the music. Um, Tony's the light but he's the prophet of, of God and he speaks in the name of God and he's like he's like the light she's the darkness and there's like this kind of like uh, turmoil that goes on we don't say the time period we use the word Gaia we use Earth as the, for the first album we'll, we don't know where we'll go after that and we try to create our own little world that we could be in that we could expand on the story move forward as we move forward so that was kind of how we kind of um Created the store. kind of Cliff Notes version. That's helpful to
0: you at all? Oh, t- dude, I'm all in on this stuff. It's um, <laughs> I, I I suspected that this was what the process might have been like. Because uh, I guess that's the thing. Like you know, I was telling you earlier, this uh, record just kind of dropped out of the ether. Uh, just came to me, you know, a friend of mine who understands this sort of stuff I'm into and the music I like and we both mutually enjoy, sent it to me and I just submerged my submerged myself in the record and I was like, man, there's so much, like, depth and narrative and just interstitial things that kind of lace everything together and that's, uh, in my mind, I'd already built it up to be exactly what you described, but, uh, but real quick, I just want to take a, a side note, man. Tinnitus, have you I, – I know people, other people that deal with that. Have you managed that? Is there a – because I also know that you're into, like, physical culture and, you know, health and all that stuff. Was there a way that you were able to manage the tinnitus
1: so that you could work with it? Um, yeah, that, that interview I sent you earlier with uh, Vincent Meso. I get a little deep into that because it's a little more of a health channel. Um, I'm also really heavily involved in like the biohacking community. Right. So, um, I consider myself an unlicensed biohacker as well. So I looked at what neurologically was going on with the tinnitus and how the hearing loss had affected it. But I also realized that there were certain neurotransmitters that were being overactive. So I had to think about what I was eating, what I was not eating, And how it was going to deal with some of the the neurological parts of tinnitus. Because, yeah, okay, there's a hearing loss. Okay, uh, years of wearing headphones, loud rehearsals, going to shows, seeing Motorhead. And just abusing my ears for basically, you know, a lifetime. You know, my ears are like an 85-year-old person. So, that have that many miles on them. Um, I switched over to a ketogenic paleolithic style diet. I don't eat any oat, wheat, bran, barley, rice, corn. I eat chicken, lamb, fish. I eat enormous amounts of fat. My coffee in the morning is full of like all kinds of different supplements. MCT oil, coconut oil, ghee. Um, and when I switched to, I, I ha- how that kind of happened was um, I met Charles Mobs he is a research researcher at Mount Sinai. I trained his wife. Um, I actually have an interview with him on my fitness channel, but I was, I came across an article where they can compared, um, tinnitus to auditory epilepsy, which is a neural over firing in the brain. So epilepsy, when they treat epilepsy, they, They were using the ketogenic diet. I mean, and that's been well established for like 50 years. The problem with using the ketogenic diet to treat epilepsy is it's a very hard diet for people to do for long term. So they look for medications or pharmacopoeia to kind of deal with it, whereas it was effective. So I spoke to Charles. He said, Yeah, that's kind of an unusual way to explain that. But yeah, I could see some definitely some similar things going on with the two. So I pursued doing the Bulletproof Coffee. I've read a bunch of Dave Asprey's books, a couple of Dr. Mercola's books, Fat for Fuel, and a bunch of other ones, and did a little bit of self-education, which I do every night anyway. Um, I try to listen to people who are smarter and wiser than me every night for self-free education, since YouTube puts it out there for nothing. Um, And I educated myself a lot about the topic, and I switched everything that I was doing But when I started doing this, I noticed a lot of other profound positive effects from doing it. I noticed my hair stopped going gray. I went to athletic levels of body fat. I had more energy than ever before. My libido went up and I felt like my aging almost came to a standstill and in some some ways almost went in reverse for me. Eczema went away. Other, Other issues that I had slowly started to disappear. I continue doing that, and that's been about six years now, maybe five, six years now. The tinnitus is not totally gone. It is there, but it's manageable. Um, it's not the tea kettle it once was, but there are certain things that I, I certainly um, avoid, and there are certain things that I put in my diet, and those are really important. Um, you have to take control of your life. The only other the only other options they were like, hearing aid could be helpful for some, if you already have a deficit in your hearing, from like say two to four k, and that's where you're, that's usually where your ringing is. If they amplify that region, your brain goes, oh, I can hear what's going on there. I don't need to ring. It's not it's like a feedback loop. But if you take the hearing aid out, the ringing usually comes back because the deficit noise floor is there again. It drops below the point where the brain goes, hey, I can't hear. Hey, 2, 4K, where are you? And it's not there. With with hearing aid in, it amplifies the brain. Oh, I hear it. I don't need to ring anymore. The ringing is like a symptom of the loss of the hearing that you have. So you can't really bring your hearing back. Maybe in another year or two, there's a couple of companies that bring some stuff to to market in the next two years, um, which I'm aware of. But it hasn't happened yet. So once you kind of burn out those hair follicles, they're pretty much gone. So to all you musicians who are out there listening, too cool to wear earplugs or protect your hearing, you might have to pay for it later. So just accept that when you do. That's all. Yeah, um, I,
0: I guess I never really yeah. knew what uh what tinnitus was. That's that's interesting, man. I mean I, I'm uh you know, thankfully I haven't had to deal with anything like that. But uh Oh, it's
1: horrible. It's the worst thing I've ever had to deal with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the
1: death of a couple of family members, but, I mean, it's, you can't stop it. It's like 24-7 all the time. Trying to go to sleep, trying to concentrate, try to write a book, try to have a conversation with someone, and there's like a tea kettle in the background or like a radio station that's on the wrong, wrong channel, like in between stations. So it sounds like all the time. It's very disturbing. It's the reason why, you know, soldiers, Military, police, people who fire guns, people who carpenters hit the same nail over and over and over uh, for years on end. It's not just musicians. It's anyone who's around loud environments all the time. They do that damage, and it just never really comes back. Mine was from Noise Induced because I'd been around, you know, stereo, you know, i had big stereos in my car and headphones and all the things and everything in between. That's also, yeah. it's
0: also interesting that the ketogenic diet uh, really helps manage it because that's something I, I play around with that diet uh, for the last five or six years too and I've seen a lot of really great results from that uh, and I just think yeah. it's it's so interesting um, you know most people who aren't familiar with nutrition they get scared of all the saturated fat that you have to eat you know and um, so yeah.
1: it's, a di- it's a different philosophy though I mean, Listen, my doctor, one of my doctors was horrified what I was doing, so I fired him. Yeah. Because it's like he didn't believe in the philosophy of medicine that I believed in and I found people that did. It's not so simple. Ketogenic diet, if you're gonna do it, it's all or none. There's no halfway with doing it. Either you're gonna do a sixteen to eighteen hour intermittent fast when you break the fast, you're gonna you're gonna commit to eating high quality, nutritious foods, or don't do it don't go beating be keto bars and all that stuff that stuff that's just people trying to make money off of off of the current trend that it's in right now oh
0: yeah you know definitely. What I mean like, yeah I've seen those at like various places and I'm like how the hell is this
1: ketogenic man it's like probably all mostly, yeah, mostly <laughs> not, sugar. It's not know? even close yeah exactly it's not it's not really close they're using all kinds of alcohol sugars and stuff like that and then to make them um, make them work it, the inflammation though in my body globally went down dramatically and i'm telling you my everything from my hair skin nails hearing and everything changed dramatically but i went hardcore into because i was suffering right so yeah. i was like all or none and um i found a profound profound effect and listen i'm, I'm in fitness i just, like you know i was doing something five six days a week whether it be running you know well not really so much for running cycling kettlebells olympic lifting all the time but And I was working out a lot. I was never really getting to 12% body fat. And I was, you know, testing it myself. When I did ketogenic diet, I didn't lose any energy from any of my lifting or any of the stuff I wanted to do, but I was becoming ripped. It was like a no brainer. I was like, whoa, I know my body pretty good. And I know it's a profound effect for me personally It worked. I can't say it'll work for other people, but I do see other people trying to do it and not really succeeding because. They're not really doing 16 to 18 hours. You got that's really the sweet spot. And when you break it, you have to break it with like the right foods, and you have to drink a lot of water when you're doing it with electrolytes in it. Whether I don't care if it's Redmond salt or whatever, whatever you want to put in for your minerals. So yeah, it, it's it's pretty in depth way of of a lifestyle. So um, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Anyway, if that's helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I discovered it because I had some pretty bad knee injuries a few years ago. And, um, you know, dealing with the inflammation from, uh, you know, torn meniscus and, and just, you know, shot joints basically from, uh, you yeah. know, from kickboxing and doing jujitsu and just abusing myself with heavy weights and stuff. And, um, and I felt like that diet really helped me deal with the inflammation because I couldn't. After after I healed from the knee injury, I couldn't really get into a full squat, and then um, mm-hmm. I started doing that diet, and I, the swelling went down, and now I'm doing like you know full squats like on the regular. So uh,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: I definitely had a lot of success with that.
1: Yeah, it's inflammatory markers dropped dramatically. Um, my my CRP, uh, C-reactive protein, which is like basically like your inflammatory marker, when I switched over that number dropped dramatically. And, um, I mean, my cholesterol, By some doctors would, would, you know, they'd be horrified by it, but I don't have those inflammatory markers. I don't have the plaque when I do the tests or any of that. So I'm not, I don't just take the global number of cholesterol and, and just indemnify and say, that's bad. It's kind of like a tennis net, right? Certain molecules are able to go through those, that net, some of them get caught up in there. Certain of those cholesterol, um, molecules which are like are in the LDL are hazardous. So they get caught up in there, but not all of them. So if you're globally testing all of them, and you have to think about the ratios and, and other markers that are in the blood too. I'm not. I'm not giving anyone any medical advice. I'm just speaking for my for my own personal experience. Um, I don't buy into all the cholesterol thing personally, and I certainly don't believe into the new guidelines saying it needs to be below like. 200 or something like that. It just doesn't seem like enough. Your, your brain, if that's the case, I should be dead then already. You know what I mean? Like just, just being honest with you, the amount of fat and stuff I eat, I've been told my whole life be you fat. You're going to be fat. Really? I mean, all you're really eating is protein and fat and certain carbs from vegetables. And I'm ripped right now and I'm eating enormous amounts of fat. So this whole food pyramid and a lot of the stuff they're talking about, it, it doesn't, it didn't work for me. I was working out six, seven days a week and eating those things. And I always had a layer of fat on me. Now I'm eating fat and protein and removing certain all the oat, wheat, bran, barley, rice, and corn. And, and I'm ripped. You know what I mean? Just, just for me personally, I don't have to work out five, six days a week either to have this caloric expenditure. So, and I'm working out less and I'm, um, my overall body composition is better. So, yeah. sometimes less is more sure. sometimes. So, you got to, th- those are all your own personal things that you have to, ex- ex- personal exploration that you need to do. We all need to do with ourselves sometimes. It's hard though. It's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people trying to sell you stuff. I'm not selling any product. I'm not selling anything. I'm just sharing information. So, if that's helpful to people, great. I don't sell any products on my, on my website. It's just my you know, knowledge of what I do. That's it. And I try to share that with everybody. Um, that's why I do what I do, obviously.
0: So, You know, it's funny. Anyway. All this, like, philosophy and, like, kind of, um, you know, one of the things that I, I I dig about a lot of this stuff is that there's no medications involved, and it's this more natural kind of, like, way that your own body kind of heals itself. And I think in some ways, some of the concepts on the record, I know there's, like, references to Gaia and, like, you know, Earth and, like, how, like, there's also a lot of, um, Wiccan and like occult references with some of the names of deities and things like that. Is that something that, uh, you get into as well? Like, uh, you know, different types of belief uh, systems and all that kind of stuff?
1: I'm kind of, I was, uh, raised Roman Catholic. I went to Catholic school in Brooklyn, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. I was raised as a Catholic. I did the whole thing. Um, I'm not much of, um, a churchgoer, uh, I, but I do like to keep positive energy around me and positive people that are around me that are trying to do positive stuff. And I don't really have much interest or of any interest in the occult because I usually find people that are follow that, it just never really leads down a path of positivity. So it's never really, help, never really helpful for me. Everyone's free to do what they want. I just don't really have much in common with people that are into that stuff. They just never really, really seem to resonate with me. Do I like the uh, mythological element of it, of storytelling and a good book? Hell yeah, 100%. Um, I was also one of the reasons when, when Voss wrote all the lyrics, I already knew what Voss does. I know what she likes to write about. She's totally into astrology. She's really big into mythology. And those are things she's into. She's not really into science fiction like me. Um, Tony is into both. Tony's into everything. He's like very similar, you know? Um, I mean, Voss grew up in a Greek Orthodox family, you know? So she grew up in, in, she just, I don't think she really believes in the occult or she, or whatever. She just kind of like, you know, it's it's like, by the time you get I'm um, 50-plus, by the time you get the, you take all this stuff in, you kind of internalize it, and you say, well, where do I fit amongst all of this? There are certain elements of religion that I do like, and I think it is good for some people. It gives them a little bit of some kind of uh, a guidelines, or, or it may make one be helpful in their community, maybe helping feed some people who are less fortunate that don't have food. And if the church helps them do that, or a temple helps them do that, it helps them get organized within their community, so be it. I don't have any problems with any religious structures if they're if they're helping people be positive for some people it's helpful for them to have a little guidance you know uh i don't necessarily i don't find it people are like yeah but religion is oppressive everything is, could be oppressive well, it depends how you look at your personal stances i don't really care what other people's beliefs are um i just try to choose people around, to be around me that are have similar views. I can't be around people that are prejudiced or, you know, prejudge before they even know them, you know? So yeah, that's how I feel about, I guess, religion. I mean, it teaches us lessons, right? If you know your past, you know your future, or at least you have a little bit of a a roadmap of things of the past. You might be like, Hey, you know, that kind of happened in the past. Maybe it's not a good path to go down that road because you have a past or you have had, ancient scriptures that might have enlightened people back then you know in those time periods and i think some of those it's still valuable today for some
0: yeah i was also raised uh roman catholic and um in the last few years uh i'm I'm not not that i'm returning to religion or anything but i've become very interested in just some of the original stories that were told in the bible and the imagery in the roman catholic religion is so powerful and i think a lot of that has to do with just the, the ominous feeling I had when I was a kid going to church, you know, with the crosses and the stigmata and candles and incense Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And I just think you have to take everything in and, uh, make decisions as an individual instead of following a group. And I think if that kind of mentality is applied, that people will generally be okay.
1: Yeah. It's just, if anything, read the Bible and you'll have probably some great stories. You know, I mean, and maybe some things that could be learned from it, you know, I mean, I grew up in a very superstitious, you know, Italian family where they put like Maloikas and shit in the baby carriages and oh, all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. So I get it. it. It's I don't, I did the whole thing. I did, you know, the whole religious thing. It's cool. I learned it. Um, I moved on. I don't, necessarily, I don't go to church. I don't follow it. Um, my wife does, but it's just not my, it's not something I'm, pulls me in, but I believe, I believe there to be a higher, higher something. Um, I don't know if I believe it to be the Catholic church or any specific religion, but I do believe in some type of universal energy that's there. And we do need to uh, give something back to the planet that we live on and to people that we share this planet with. I do think that's important to try to, to give back somehow, however that may be, and whatever you feel is important enough to you to do. That's not too much to ask as a, as a, as a citizen of the planet, is to, you know, um, to live amongst each other in, in harmony. So, yeah, I, in some ways, I guess maybe some of those beliefs came from earlier life and so on. But the, the occult stuff, I don't really have much interest in. And I usually kind of, like, if people are into that, I usually just, I know that I'm usually not going to be super interested with them. I don't find them super interesting people. So I, I usually just kind of move on. Um, That's cool. That's just their thing, you know. Whatever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Ah, <No>, totally, man. <laughs> too, much
1: other, too much other stuff going on. I mean, in my life, I don't really have too much time. To, I'm up at 4.45 in the morning. I'm rolling at 8.30 at night. And I'm dealing with people all day. I don't really have too much time to think about much anyway. Um, so, And, I'm, and I'm, I try to be a positive force in people's life. That's why I do what I do. I also go home and know I help people at the end of the day. And at least all the people I'm, I've had, I've had all the occupations where I made more money that I've walked away from and I walk right back to doing what I'm doing right now because I know that I'm, I'm offering something positive to people. You know, when people come and see me, they got a smile on their psych to see me. And that's why I'm there. So uh, I do try to be, and I want to make a living doing something where I'm adding something positive to society. And I've chosen health and fitness to be that as well. And with the goddam record, it was important for me to me. If you notice, the Goddamn record ends off in a positive place.
0: Yeah, that's like a. Yeah, the balance is restored at the end of that. And it goes to this whole. Like, the balance is re- This whole story, there's like a, and that's and that's like like the thing that that really attracted me to the record in the first place was like I'm I'm a huge, sci-fi horror weird fiction like mostly weird fiction like stuff like Lovecraft and you know Clark Clark Ashton Smith and like guys like that with these like you know old gods and all this other stuff and um and the the record kind of to me there's like a narrative that follows kind of like a weird fiction trajectory in there but but at the end instead of like eternal darkness there's like a positive ending to the story
1: that was that was very intentional because winter was into darkness this is beyond it this is like the next step beyond where it goes and it's almost like a it's like you know like you know it says like on the album say in the pantheon of galaxies it is this is just earth is just amongst this all these other planets and other, and we are trying to make is this like this universal entity, um, which is kind of like you know what we try to present with the record. And you know, who knows? Who knows what happened with the Egyptians? Were they really from another place? Where you know, in terms, of, well, you look at them from out of space. Or look, it could be a landing grid. They couldn't. Humans could not have physically have even built that. You know, so there are, are always a lot of things within history that have come along, and they're really interesting stories. And and we revit, and as musicians and artists, we're always looking for interesting things to write about or other interesting writers and, and so on. So um, I really wanted to make the record a concept somehow. It was really important to me to do that with this record, with the, with the characters. And as we move, move forward, we might add more. Like right now we have Prophet of God and we have Star. We Have my character, and we already started writing the next record, and we're already starting to develop some of the And We're like, oh, well, where are we going to go with this now? And so, that's kind of how we uh, that's kind of why I wanted to choose a uh, concept so that moving forward, it wouldn't like, oh, we're we going to write about you know, whatever, just tons of things to write about. And um, I don't want to be political anymore, like, you know, I was into all the Earlier, my earlier part of my life, I was into all the anarcho-punk stuff. But that stuff was like reading, just like reading a newspaper. And it um, always felt like a little kind of, it seems like, kind of bores me a little bit now when I like see like, you know, punk groups doing the same thing. I'm like, all right, you know, can you find this thing, a, a little bit different way to say it maybe, <laughs> make it a lot more interesting, you know. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, if I was 16 years old, I'd probably be doing the same thing. Like I like I did when I was sixteen. So,
0: were there any plans to uh, perform this past year, or uh, you know, like uh, I think that um, you know, my, my understanding was that Godin was, was primarily
1: a studio project. Godin is definitely a studio project, um, and it will always be a DIY recorded exactly the way we did it. Um, I really want to. Perform the album live. When I when I got together with Roy, you know he knows he also has a little bit of tinnitus too. So and he's one of my best friends. I said you know I really want to play this record live, man. I mean like, but I really can't be on a stage with some guy, you know beating the shit out of the drums, and I can't be in a rehearsal with people beating the shit. It's just I I have a little bit of hearing left. If it gets worse, the ringing gets worse, right? If the, if the hearing gets worse, the ringing gets louder. So you know, how can we do this? How can I do this and play live? And he was like, dude, you got to do in-ear monitors and you have to really think about how you're going to pull that off live. So one of the scenarios for us to play live was um, first we start out with the idea of maybe putting like the plexiglass around the drums to lower it and then we're going to put all the got an images on it, you know, the character oh, yeah. images on it, right. or something like that. Do something, and we try not to make it too spinal tap, but I got to be honest with you. I think we're going to go like uh, virtual this time around. I mean, I'm old school with, you know, maces and amps and all that stuff, but I'm going to use, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm old school, but I'm also modern when it comes to the recording. I use a lot of line six stuff. Oh, I'll yeah. use a plug in if it sounds good. Yeah. I don't give a shit. At the end of the day, when I sent that record to be mixed to Roy and I sent him stems, I labeled all the guitars. One, two, three, four, five, six. He said, yo, what is what's number six? What's number three? What's number five? I said, doesn't fucking matter. Tell me which one you like. And you know, he said to me, I like three, two, five, whatever. I go, dude, those are all fucking pods. Yeah. Put the other yeah. one? What's the other one? The other one's a triple rectifier going through an extra large cabinet. The other one's an angle going through this cabinet. The other one is this. He goes, "Get the fuck out of here!" And I go, "Yep." You know, at at some point, if you're playing in a like, listen, uh, not to get too off the off the topic, but I'm I think live. I think we're gonna go. I think we're gonna go like uh, maybe a small little half stack facing the back of the stage. And I might just throw one of my, you know, my pod pros up there and go directly into the board. In, everyone has any of bass player pod, guitar player pod. I might even do V-drums, the new v drum TD-20. We're already experimenting with it. We bought the new TD-20 kit, and we're not even using the sounds in it. We're using the sounds from the Godin' record. What you hear on the album, that's the kick you're going to hear. That's the snare drum you're going to hear. And we're gonna probably go that route, and just kind of flip, not just did it. And I know a lot of other people are doing it right now. You just don't even know they're doing it. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen
0: stuff like that on the road too, man. Like we, um, a few years ago, we did a bunch of dates with uh, Creator, and uh, they had. I was like watching them sound check on the first day, and I was like, "Where's all their amps?" And then they had this gigantic rack with all this like those Kemper uh, systems in there. And that's it. They have like front of house and monitors. <laughs> it's like the whole setup. And I was like, Man, it's crazy how how far technology has gone, you know?
1: I mean, Mike, let's be honest. I mean, taking those I you know I'm old school, man. I did it the old school way. I recorded the tape, I did the whole thing. Yeah. I close my eyes and I listen. I try not to get caught up in the in the you know, the fantasy world of like Yo, that's a sweet old blah blah blah, whatever blah blah blah, going through a ribbon blah blah. I just closed my ears, dude. And like I said, I sent them to Roy. And when I sent things to people, I, that's how I label, I would la- relabel them and not tell them what they were. And it's just tell me what you like, man. Don't get caught up in it. Even Scott, the drummer, I did the same thing with him. Oh, come on, man. That's like the same fucking snare drum fucking Bonham had, blah blah blah, blah, blah and all the shit, right? At the end of the day I should just pick it and they picked it. And sometimes they didn't pick the one they thought they were picking. Because people do get caught up in that sometimes. This this listen, this some there's some stuff that you need a real amplifier for. Hands down, like, you know, certain ambient feedback kind of stuff. Yeah. But the heavier tones, I mean, when I'm recording, right, if I'm using like a guitar rig plug in, right, and I'm playing my guitar and I take my my right hand with the mouse or whatever, and I slide it across the, the frequencies on a parametric EQ, and I just close my zoom. That's where I want that. That's the tone I'm looking for. You, know, just you can't even do that on an amplifier. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, There's, there's something about... You, you can't be afraid of technology. It, it's there. It's not going anywhere. I'm not saying everything has to be done that way, but um, there's something special to using what's available to you at your disposal. And, um, you know, we did the whole album like that. I mean, basically I, I sent things to Voss and her in her little home studio. She's like, she's like bare bones the way she does everything. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about the recording process. Some, some stuff I kept, trust, trust me, there was something that sounded pretty good with the, with the regular amps that we use, but like all the feedback stuff and the manifestations and all stuff. Yeah. That's that's a straight up JC rolled in JC one twenty with a couple of my really old pedals in front of it. Like I couldn't do that with a plug in. There's no way I can get all those feedback sound. It's just I'm going can't really make that happen. But um for some stuff, I'm I'm all for it. I don't I don't have a problem with it. I think it's gonna actually make heavy music even heavier as we go forward.
0: I mean, I, I use that shit too, man. Like, I, I mean, our, you know, I mean, I, the band Tombs that I play in, it's like our, uh, all of the last couple records, last three, four records have been a hybrid of actual amps, plugins, and samples. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then when I'm on my own, you know, writing, it's all in the box, man. I got like this uh, the system yeah, by, uh, by Bias. And I have such an unlimited palette of different sounds to use that it's like it's it's, you know it's amazing you know
1: yeah the recording process has evolved in a way that it's given the power back to the musicians i mean if you like people like oh don't you miss doing it the old way with tape i go no not at all i mean what am what am i missing by doing it the old way i have to wait for an engineer i have to go to a studio i have to buy tape i can only have a couple of takes of it i can save it and render it as a new session you know what i mean it's like it's like The freedom of expression, doing it the new way, is uncomparable. I would never want to go back to to doing it the old way. The old way would just cost me way more money and take all the freedom out of it. I could work at 4 o'clock in the morning or till the sun comes up, which is usually what I do. I couldn't do that back in the day. I mean, Into Darkness, we, we spent hours, I mean, years writing that record. Me and John just sitting in a rehearsal room and, you know, just doing it. I would never be able to do that right now with my life. Not because I'm, I don't have the creative part or spark in me to do it. I don't have the uh, time or the financing to be able to finance something like that. It would be completely impossible. And not only that, I don't have to ask, ask a record label for money. Therefore, I don't have to pay a record label back for the money I borrowed, which they'll probably say I never recouped anyway. So that freedom in itself... Of recording now, I would never go back to doing it the other way. I have no no interest in it whatsoever. Even if they tell me, oh yeah, the drum compression, this and that, fuck that. (laughs) I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit what John Bonham did. I don't care what his kick drum sounded like back then, because I'm not playing music. I don't have the guitar sound that Jimmy Page has, and I need a different amount of spectral space in the whole mix that it doesn't matter if I had John Bonham's kick drum or his snare drum. Good to John Bonham. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how does that help me now? I don't really understand. So I just feel like I have more sculpting and freedom to do The Serpentine Path album sounds great. We did that in Jay's basement. Yeah, I remember Jay telling vocals. me about that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, Jay did a great job on that record. You couldn't tell me that doesn't sound like a professional record. He did a great job on that. Hats off to him. Yankee hats off to Jay, man you know um so yeah that's my my feeling on the uh on recording and um um and the and the guitars I use I think make more of a difference in the recording than than any of that as well too you know yeah man um, you sent
0: me those videos of uh all the different custom jobs you got on those guitars and basses and that's pretty goddamn amazing stuff man (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's, let me tell you something. Jimmy DeResta and Jimmy Mazzatelli, those guys are insane. Both of them are like really old friends. I mean, I know those, I know them since I'm like 15, 16 years old. Those guys, and they're both from big woodworking families. Their fathers were both woodworkers. Um, and man, Jimmy uh, DeResta made that skull guitar and that skull bass, and yeah, I guess he made that in like 1988 or 89 or something. We couldn't figure out the date because I had a sticker over it, but, um, yeah, he's unbelievable, Jimmy. I mean, and they just, those guys knew I was doing the record just out of love. They're like, yo, man, let me make you something cool. I'm like, let's do it. So, um, but yeah, those, those, are yeah, amazing, those, man. They're like they're,
0: sculptures almost, you know?
1: They are. They're works, they're works of art. I mean, literally works of art. I mean, both of those guys are crazy busy to put the time aside to do that. That was all love from them. Um, And they're unbelievable. The the black guitars, though, you know, it's interesting. You know, um, you were going to ask me about Serpentine Path. One of the things I I reminisced when when I met Tim, when we were doing the Serpentine record, was it was so funny. We were so different. We were so alike in so many ways, me and Tim, when it came to music and stuff we liked, and approach to the riffs and the note selection. It was almost like we were split at birth. Because, you know, we grew up listening to similar records and, you know, um, but his approach to getting his bound and my approach to getting my sound, the end result was similar. But the way we went about it was so completely alien to us. <laughs> like, like, like Tim. Tim was great, you know. Like, I would, you know, at that point in time, I'd go out to Jersey because he's living in Jersey, and we would work on all the riffs, and then we would come into city and we go to Sir because Jay, right, and Ryan and Darren. You know, uh, Darren and and Jay worked at Sir and we used to rehearse there and it's but I would go over to Tim's at to Jersey and we would, we would hang and we would do show me his riffs and we work on ideas. And then we'd go back to rehearsal and show the rest of the guys, Hey, it's what we have. And that's how we did the Serpentine record. But when I, when I met with Tim, it was weird. Like he would take, he would have like a, a regular, like SG guitar, just with strings. that just a little bit heavier. And he would have his bare knuckles pick up into it. Amp would be clean as could be. And he would, put his full tone pedal right in front of it and dial it in just the way he liked it. And that was the sound. And he played really light with strings that weren't super tight and he had a very light touch, very articulate. And he would basically plug like, you know, guitar, guitar, Distortion into a couple of his effects Into the front of the amp And he would use like a, like an orange Like that big monster orange powerhead I can't remember what, the, what it was It was crazy It was like the, it was their monster of the, of the line Or whatever it was But if you took the distortion off It's not like he's playing country music You know what I mean? Like that was like kind of his thing me I was completely different I was like You know 30 inch scale Baritone guitar You know Basically bass strings on it EMG you know, with a concentric, you know, bass control in it, going directly into the front of a rectifier. Yeah. No distortion pedal, all my effects in the effects loop. And he would crack up, Kib. you would be like, dude, your shit's so high-tech, I can't even figure it out. I'm like, all I'm doing is going in the front <laughs> and then putting the effects in the effects loop. He's like, yeah, but where's your distortion coming from? I'm like, I'm going right into the header and use the distortion pedal, you know? Like, you know, and he was using his, he was using like a, like a, you know, a bare knuckles. Which is passive pickup. I'm using active pickup. Right. I'm using a baritone own bass string. He was using a standard like SG. He was using a distortion in the front. I was using no distortion guitar in the front. You know what I mean? He had his effects in the front, mine were in the back. You know, like. But at the end of the day, none of that really made meant anything. It just meant okay, that's your sound, that's my sound. What's your riff? And we just kind of did it. But I will, I would crack up to that because you'd be like, wow, it's so funny. Like, you would think that because we playing similar music that the the way we would mix it up would be almost identical, right? But it was not at all. And at the end of the day, if I gave you my guitar to play it, you wouldn't sound anything like me. So none of that really means shit anyway. <laughs> like if you gave me Tim's guitar and I played his guitar, I would probably be weird to play because of the way it was set up, because of the string tension and, and the gauges and stuff he used. But it wouldn't sound like him because he had a very certain way, the way he palm muted it or the way that he dragged his fingers across to keep the keep it so it wouldn't feed back. You know, that's all part of the whole thing. You can have as much gain, but you have to be able to control the game, you know? So that's all part of who you are as a person, how you are as a player and how you want to do it. But that was one one thing like reminiscing about Serpentine. Is I would just go over there, we'd smoke up and we'd just do our thing and, and we'd meet them. And those guys were super pro, by the way. Ryan Ryan was a monster. He wrote he wrote great lyrics and it was weird for Ryan. Like I wanted him to play, I only really, so basically Serpentine is like, with like songs that, know tim had had and then the rest of the group kind of came together and brought his ideas to life and that they did the first record i liked the first record a lot and when jay gave it to me i was like oh this is a really good record and he's like thank you that means a lot and i'm like no really i wouldn't say if i didn't mean it i wouldn't I just wouldn't say anything and he's like "Oh, he's, i'm like we should jam the next thing i know i met with them and i jammed with them they're all super cool darren's great drummer fucking oh, yeah. definitely drummer.
0: definitely a great drummer
1: I mean, all of them in their own regard were good. I remember Darren forgot his double kick pedal. And was like, oh, man, you don't have the double kick pedal? How are we going to do this? And I looked at Darren, and he like, looked at me. He's like, i do this shit one foot. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, go for it. It's not like what we play, is, we play with fast. It's not like you can't do it. But I actually liked it better with one foot. It sounded a little more brutal as far as I was concerned. It wasn't so segmented the kicks and stuff. I actually liked it better. It reminded me of, like, you know, uh, something a little bit earlier. It didn't it didn't feel so uh time cast. But um yeah, they're all good. Jake Jay killed it with the recording, Ryan killed it with the lyrics and putting it together. Ryan's a great guitar player too, so I asked him to do the solos on whatever song it was I contributed to it. Um we oh. did do the song Night that's on the Garden Record, just never made it to the um emanations. Oh wow. I
0: didn't yeah that's that's that's
1: yeah. We Yeah, we didn't really we already had too many songs and we kind of, I, I, I heard, I heard, I always heard of the song originally had a female vocal on it. Even when, before Serpentine did it, my wife did it, actually did the, um, the vocals on it. It was more like a Porter's head kind of thing, actually. And, um, it hit too many songs. So I said, yeah, know, I'll just hold that song. Just use Systematic Extinction. And I saved it for the Garden record because I felt like it needed keyboards. It needed, female, it needed more stuff to it. And it wasn't. Wasn't the right song for them, but um, but yeah, Serpentine, they were cool, it was, they, they were cool to work with, and I think they made a solid record, too.
0: Well, Steph, thanks a lot, man. This was great, and uh, you know, once again, congratulations on um, you know, on the, on the Godden record, man. It's uh, I, I mean, I listen to it pretty much once or twice a month, man. It's like definitely in my rotation. <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.